is it possible to have a science that is so scary, people don't want to even research it? And then we travel to Iceland to take a look at one of the most bizarre and yet most powerful magical relics known to man. What would you do if you found out that the only way to become rich and successful is to wear the necro pants? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so first off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our newest Patreon supporters. Everyone, get on your feet and give it up for our very own Necro Pants wearing Jonah. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Come on in! He's like, wait, what? I don't even know what the Necro Pants are yet. Oh, you'll learn soon, Jonah. And you'll be like, I don't wanna I don't wanna wear these pants. Well, you can't take them off, but we'll get to that. <laughs> now you're a prisoner of the Necro Pants, Jonah, but thank you for supporting the show. You're gonna be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys don't wanna support the show financially. That's totally fine. It really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. And I see you guys doing it online all the time. So I appreciate that. Jonah, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to Georgia. Specifically, we're headed out to Savannah, Georgia. And hey, Jonah, you see that house right there the yeah the yellow one with the blue trim go ahead and pull the jason jalopy over let's uh let's get out we walk up to the house i'm standing there at the front door check my watch i go one thing that's interesting that i find so fascinating about the i would say the art of ghost hunting rather than the science of ghost hunting so many people want to make I mean, listen, it's a free world. You can do whatever you want with your hobbies or with your profession. But I find it so interesting that people try so hard to make a science out of the paranormal. Because science is something, I mean, you just have just the basic foundation. that You have to be able to repeat an experiment over and over and over again under the same conditions. And if this, you get the same results, then... That's the scientific method. And that's something that we don't see happen with paranormal events. Every so often we come across the paranormal story and it's things like every Labor Day, if you go out to this graveyard, you'll see a little girl dancing around a grave and she'll look at you and she'll go, shh, she'll vanish in a thin air. If, if there is actually any, <laughs> that story's creepy, right? That story's creepy. But if there is any way to actually prove that, it's a repeatable time, right? You know when it's going to happen. You know the day it's going to happen. You'll know to bring out your recording equipment and capture proof of it. I've never been... I, I guess maybe when I was younger, I might have wanted to prove... Actually, no, I don't think I was ever in that mindset. I think I've always been in the, the vein, at least as far as the world of the paranormal goes. Conspiracies is a bit different. You know, if I believe that there's a criminal conspiracy going on or a conspiracy the government is putting against people, I want to prove that. But as far as whether or not people believe in ghosts, it doesn't really matter to me it, in the end. I understand, I understand why people don't believe in ghosts. 
because it's not repeatable. There's no way to provoke this response. Uh, you know, whenever we do have some sort of tool like a spirit box or a Ouija board or things like that, physical items, I'm not talking about mediums. I'll look at my watch again. I'm not talking about mediums or anything like that. Physical devices, a microscope, if you turn the knob, it will always get closer on the amoeba. But a Ouija board under different conditions will work or will not work. Same thing with a spirit box and all of these things. And I understand that. I understand why people I understand why people don't believe in ghosts because it can't be verified. I don't necessarily like it when people don't believe in ghosts simply because they think it's stupid. And they believe that people who believe in ghosts are stupid. That's when now it's now it's a personal attack. And I don't think it's a personal attack on me. It is, but I guess so. I do think it is that, but I—I I mean, I don't get offended by it. I think it's a attack against million, billions, really billions of people around the world who do believe in ghosts. People go, "Oh, they're just stupid. They're just mentally ill." <sighs> yeah, I mean, then I guess I guess you live on a planet that is ruled by the mentally ill. But whatever, everyone's free to have their own opinion, and I'm not here to prove anything to anybody. But science is. I check my watch, I go, okay, we're here at the perfect time. And I get down and I uh, start picking the lock to this house. We open the front door. It's an average house. We walk into this house and we hear a television playing in the bedroom. So we make our way to the bedroom and we walk in there. And playing on television is a rerun of Sanford and Son. That's not, that's not the first thing that catches your eye. You see a middle-aged man dead in a bed. And I go, yeah, just in time. I had this timed perfectly. And I walk over to this man. He's laying in bed. Hmm. His heart stopped. His heart stopped the minute we walked into the room. Now his brain is not being supplied with blood. And we're watching this man die in this room. And you go to shut off the television set because you don't think anyone should die while it's 1970 sitcoms playing. I go, no, 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 don't touch the TV. First off, fingerprints. Secondly, this man loves Sanford and Son. It's one of his favorite shows. It's a good show. I used to watch it. And I'm sitting by the side of his bed. We're watching this man. Die. Right. Medically, he's already dead. His heart has stopped. At this point, we're just watching all of the biological functions cease in his body. We continue to let the episode play out until it's over. And what you just witnessed was science. You're like, no, Jason, I think we just witnessed a man die and you easily could have done something. Well, we could have done chest compressions, but it was this man's time to go. This was on his terms. He wanted to die in bed at home watching television. And the reason why we're here and the reason why we timed it so perfectly is that I wanted to talk about a very intriguing article I read about how long can the dying hear? 
fascinating study that came out of the University of British Columbia, Canada. It was printed in the publication Scientific Reports, which is a journal. Recently, they did the study Hospice Center. And what they did was they put a cap. They had like this cap with these electrodes on it. They put it on the heads of a control group, people who were totally alive. And then they would put the same cap on people who were in the process of dying. Because again, like our friend here, when you're in hospice, there's not much they can do for you. If you have a heart attack in hospice care, the worst thing they can do is drive you across town to the hospital, bring you back to life, and then take you back to the hospice center where you may just repeat the whole thing next day. Hospice center is where people go in their final days, weeks, months, however they have it set up. So we have one set of electrodes on healthy living people and another set of electrodes on people who are in the process of dying. And what they've realized was that when they were doing this study, right, these pe- the people who are in the process of dying, they're not dying right now. They're just, you know, they got a couple days, a couple weeks left. The scientists would play these different changing melodies, these very simple melodies. By playing these, they call this type of melody an oddball sequence. By playing these melodies, we can measure what's going on in the brain. It gives us a baseline of what a human brain shows when it's hearing these melodies, what parts of the brain light up. Now, when these hospice patients are actively dying, right, they've fallen unconscious. They are not going to be revived. At this point, whatever disease or ailment has gotten them, it will finish them off in a matter of hours or minutes, whatever it is, depending, you know, obviously. Usually it's hours, but it can it can vary. They would put the caps back on the now unconscious patients. I should be very clear. They, 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 were all, they were all aware this was going to happen. They signed up for this. They weren't like, ah, oh, now I get to sleep. The sleep of kings. And all of a sudden, they're feeling someone uh, put a ill-fitting hat on them. They're like, what? No, this wasn't part of the deal. They knew that they were going to do this. So anyways, when these... You have a control group, and then you have a baseline reading of the dying hospice people, hospice patients. And now when they're actively dying, when they've fallen unconscious, these electrodes are reattached to their head, and they begin playing the tones again. Even after they fell unconscious, they could hear the tones. Because we could see their brain reacting to them. It wasn't as strong as when they were alive like fully alive, now that they're unconscious and they're in the final moments of life, their brain is still reacting to the sound. But, you know, we've always heard if someone's in a coma, you sit next to them, you can talk to them, that can help. So we've always figured that that wouldn't be a barrier if someone was unconscious. People can talk to you while you're sleeping and maybe affect your dream. You're like, watch out, zombies, zombies, dude, they're coming, they're right behind you. You're like, ah... In your dream. And they're giving you sleeping pills to keep their entertainment going. Even after the heart stopped pumping blood. So at this point, they're, they are... I know, Generally, people are considered dead. It, it depends, really. There's actually become an active debate in the medical community. When is somebody dead? Is it when the heart stops pumping blood and there's no way to revive them? 
or is it when the brain ceases activity? The problem is, is we don't know when the brain ceases activity. It, the brain seems to be active for quite a while after when a doctor would say you're dead. And that's where a study like this gets creepy. If that intro wasn't creepy enough for us, even after the heart stopped pumping blood, the brain is still reacting to the tones. What they believe, and this has been a theory in the medical community for a long time, that hearing is the last sense you lose as you're dying. Vision goes fairly quickly, especially if you're unconscious, right? You're going to lose your vision. But, and I imagine as your body is shutting down, it does, like, obviously, <laughs> you're like, we don't need taste buds no more. We don't need to pump energy to our taste buds. So you lose a sense of taste, would probably be the first one to go. But touch, hearing, sight. What's the other one? What is the other one? Touch, hearing, taste, sight. And a sense of rhythm. I don't remember what the five... I don't remember. I'm an adult man. And I don't remember what the five senses are. But anyways, I imagine taste is the first thing to go. But there's been a theory that the last one to go is hearing. So even after you've become unconscious, even after your heart stopped beating, what we can tell... Again, it's not as strong as it was when these patients were still alive. It wasn't even as strong as when these patients were just unconscious. But the brain is still picking up signals after the person's heart has stopped beating. It's still reacting to the tones. Now, the scientists said, listen, here's the thing. According to this study, people can still hear after they've been declared dead. The question is, can they comprehend it? <laughs> it's still terrifying, right? It's still absolutely terrifying to think about. But they go, just because the brain's reacting to it, it is picking up on it. The sense of hearing is still there. But do they understand what you're saying or what anyone's saying or, or what Sanford is saying when he's having another heart attack? We don't know. <laughs> that would actually be the worst show to watch after you died of a heart attack and you're just laying there in bed and the last thing you hear is Sanford going, Oh, Martha, I'm coming home. Martha. You guys are like, I've never watched Sanford and Son. What is this? Does every episode he have a heart attack? Yeah, every episode he had a heart attack. It's crazy. It's really chilling if you think about it. But at the same time, I, I think it also is... I it, it's, it's reassuring. I think it's kind of sweet on one hand because then when you are dying, your loved ones around you, as they're saying their goodbyes to you, you're hearing all of that. Even after you've become unconscious, you're still hearing them. Even after your heart stopped beating, you're still hearing them. I think that is sweet and nice. However, the chilling part comes from is when does this sense of hearing leave you? Like as your body is being zipped up, you hear the gurney wheels. You hear a door open up. You're stuffed into a freezing cold morgue i mean you know the good thing is you've lost your sense of touch actually actually we don't know that that's the next thing they're testing these canadian neuroscientists are going to test whether or not a, the dying can feel touch how long they can feel something touching their skin but i mean like imagine if you could hear your coffin being shut 
dirt being shoveled. You're like, okay, Jason, that's you took it too far. You're taking it too far. I, I imagine they don't hear all of that. I, I don't imagine they're like, I can hear the worms. I can hear the worms digging through the wood. I don't think they can. <laughs> I bet they couldn't. But until we get scientists down there, who knows? Probably not, though. Probably not. Creepy, creepy story. And I wanted to talk about that for two reasons. One, because I found it infinitely disturbing, yet kind of cool. Two, I wanted to contrast it with this story. We walk out of this guy's house. And now we're standing in Savannah, Georgia. And I said, you know what? There's one thing, one thing that gets the old thirst going. Gets my sense of taste kicking up. Is watching a man die. Let's go to a local tavern and wet our whistle. Jonah, go ahead and call in that bunny bicycle. We're going to jump on the handlebars. Bike us all the way out to Pirate's House Tavern. Weeka, weeka, weeka. Weeka, weeka, weeka. He's pedaling down the streets of Savannah, Georgia. We get to Pirate's House Tavern, and we walk in. We're like, sarsaparillas all around. The guy's like, what? This is a bar. What year do you think this is? We don't serve sarsaparilla. We're like, oh, man. Root beers all around. He's like, there you go. We all got a nice Henry Weinhardt's root beer in our hand. Ice cold. We're drinking it. I wanted to talk about this in contrast to how that is a scientific study that was done by scientists, and it was probably creepy for them, too. I, I don't think they were working on it late at night. They're like, look at these readings. The dead can hear. And they're like hunched over their laptop, and there's like an old man ghost standing behind him, and he's like, we heard it all. What? What was that? Uh, uh. Scientist is all sweating. I don't think <laughs> it's creepy. But, uh, you know, it's it's science. You got to do it. You got to hang out with these dying people. Let's contrast it to the Pirate's House Tavern. I came across this ghost story the other day when I was going through the Shadowlands.net. And Pirate's House Tavern, it's it was built in the 1700s. We don't have an exact date. It's a real place. It's a real tavern. Originally, it was a place for pirates. I don't think it was called the Pirate's House Tavern back then. Because piracy was a crime that uh, you would get hung for at best. They often would torture pirates. I don't think that they actually called it the Pirate's House Tavern. That'd be like having a bar in downtown Chicago today called the Drug Runners. Not a smart idea. Very, very notorious, though. This is where you had uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, when he was getting ready to write Treasure Island, he spent time at Pirate's House Tavern to get a feel of the energy from the area he wanted to go to this pretty i mean i'm sure it's a nice place now but it wasn't for a long time it basically it's where sailors would go whether or not they were pirates to where sailors would go to get drunk and to beat each other up and there'd been a lot of stabbings a lot of murders a lot of kidnappings apparently there's a series of tunnels from underneath the pirate's house tavern to the local port we do know a lot of men got kidnapped out of Pirate's House Tavern and dragged through the tunnels. And they would. what happened is they'd get drugged and then they'd wake up on a pirate ship a hundred miles out to sea and they're like, swab the deck or get off. Not, not, not sexually. Although we'll probably do that later. You can jump overboard. And so you're like, well, I guess I'm a slave now. That happened. We did have stories uh, historically of men being shanghaied, being kidnapped and forced to work on boats. Because what choice would you have at that point? 
So this place was considered very lawless. It had a reputation for being lawless. And nowadays it has all these ghost stories. And it's very standard ghost stories we see in places like this. Poltergeist activities such as glasses getting knocked off the shelves. Full body apparitions appearing as well. A lot of times these ghosts will appear right in front of people staring eye to eye with them. And then they just disappear. It's not like you catch something out of the corner of your eye, you turn and you think you saw a peg leg walk by. No, he's standing right in front of you. You're getting ready to use the urinal and he appears right in front of you. And there's no mistake you're looking at a ghost because he appears and then disappears right in front of you. Screams coming from the tunnels. <laughs> I'm so blasé about that. I'm like, oh, not the screams. Boring. And see, you know, that would be horrifying. Screams coming from the tunnel. But we have those stories. Very, very interesting ghost lore. Is it Dead Rabbit Radio interesting, though? And the reason why I wanted to highlight, that's all pretty standard ghost stuff. The reason why I wanted to highlight it was because of this. And this is this is where I kind of get upset. And I hope I have time. I don't go off on too much of a rant and I have time for the Necropant story since Jonah's wearing them and all. Listen, I get it. The world, the paranormal, is not taken seriously in the scientific community. And your mileage may vary on that. Some of you guys may deeply care about that and you want it to be considered up there with chemistry and astronomy and biology. And that's why you have terms like parapsychology, the study of the paranormal. You have all this stuff. We keep inventing equipment. A spirit box, temperature meters, EVPs. These are not just for ghost hunting. These are to prove to people who don't believe in ghosts. That's why these devices keep getting invented. People who just go ghost hunting. For the love of it. And that might be the wrong way to say it. Because I know people who do go ghost hunting for the love of it and bring these devices. But you know what I mean? Like, when I go to a ghost location, when I've done a lot of on-the-ground hunts, we never, ever worried about recording anything. That was I, I don't think we ever did that. I think maybe once I did set up a camera to do EVPs at a house that was pretty haunted. But even then, I didn't pick up anything. Actually, to be honest, I didn't finish listening to the tape. I got bored. I got bored. It was like eight hours. I was like, I'm done. So who knows? Maybe after I shut it off, they're like, we have your soul. But anyways, um, I don't care whether or not people believe in it. I believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, that's totally fine. When you mock people who don't believe in it, that's when it's kind of like, okay, now you're just kind of... Now you're just being a jerk, right? There's a lot of stuff that I don't believe in that other people do, and I don't go out of my way to tell them I don't believe in it. And I'm just like, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. It's not affecting me in any way, shape, or form. But if you are going to try to be taken seriously, like a lot of ghost hunters are, you cannot scream and run away. I'm going to read you this little story that happened at the tavern. And tell me, what other scientific pursuit would this happen at? According to, according to the Shadowlands.net, and I saw this reported in other places as well, there is a group, first off, this name, right? We, we can have the University of Cambridge... Center for Astronomical Studies, right? We can have something like that. 
This group is the national. They, they don't. They don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. But the National Ghost Chasing Association, the good old NGCA, the National Ghost Chasing Association, probably looks funny. Probably looks kind of funny on a business card and on a shirt. But if you want to be taken seriously. Probably leave out the part where you're chasing it, right? I know there's storm chasers, people who chase tornadoes, but meteorologists don't generally call themselves weather chasers. But anyways, I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, nitpicking. Although that's probably what I'm about to do. National Ghost Chasing Association. Twelve of them. Twelve members. Of the National Ghost Chasing Association. Now, for all I know, these guys were just a bunch of dudes out having fun. But when you name yourself the National Ghost Chasing Association, it does make it sound... Well, one, it makes it sound national, right? It makes it sound like it's this big organization. And there's 12 of you. So I don't know if people came from all over America. Maybe it was just a local group and they had a big ambitions. They don't exist anymore. National Ghost Chasing Association. 12 of them said, we are going to investigate Pirate's House Tavern. This place has all these hauntings, these screams from the tunnels that seem not to impress Jason. We're going to investigate this. Twelve members of the National Ghost Chasing Association showed up. And they were going to be there for three days. Three days seems like a long time. Not necessarily for a ghost hunt, because again, you want that... If you want to prove it, right, you want verifiable, you want to see if it can repeat itself. But it's also a business. This is is a functional bar. So imagine if you're trying to run a business and you have a bunch of ghost chasers walking around. And I mean, maybe it was in the middle of January. Maybe it was a slow month for the bar. But still. And how are you going to do any sort of ghost investigations if you're like, oh, no, I hear I hear a voice coming from the floor below us. Yeah, because there's 20 people down there dining. Anyways, I'm nitpicking. That's not fair. They were going to be there for three days. They decided, I'm sure, I'm sure they talked to management. I'm sure they didn't just show up and not leave. The boss is like, uh, we're closed. And they're like, uh, look at our business card, good sir. We're ghost chasers. We make the rules. They were going to stay there for three days, but... Tell me, name any other form of science that this would happen in. But it was so scary. It was so terrifying at the Pirate's House Tavern that all of the experts, they they call themselves experts, so this isn't a hobby group. They may have been been hobbyists who called themselves experts, sure. But they didn't see themselves as hobbyists. It was so spooky. At the bar... Nine of them left the premises before the investigation was over. So three remained for the whole three days. And according to this report, quote, all of the experts were scared out. (laughs) I just think I can't imagine any other scientific discipline ever using this phrase. Quote, all of the experts were scared out of their minds. And I read that and I thought, listen, 
you have to choose. You have to choose one or the other. To be taken seriously as a scientific organization or a scientific pursuit. Or, you can only have one of these two. Or, run out out of a house at three in the morning with your arms flailing in the air going, "Ah!" And you're trying to get the car started because you saw something spooky in that house. It's one or the other. All these ghost shows, all these ghost shows on television, ghost hunters and ghost adventurers and ghost travel and all this stuff. They're walking through an abandoned asylum or abandoned prison, which are scary places, don't get me wrong. But they're walking in the dark with... They're walking through the dark with their cameras and their infrared cameras and their devices and everything like that. And then there's a noise down the hallway and they go, (gasps) You have a choice. Because I don't think there has ever been at a observatory, at at an observatory where a scientist was looking through a telescope and ran away. Ran away. They go, hey, Johnson, why did you leave the door unlocked last night? A bunch of hobos came in and readjusted our telescope. It's going to take years to get it back in place. He goes, you won't believe it. I saw a black hole. It's all black hole. Now, unless that black hole had just opened around Jupiter... I mean, sure, okay, listen, if it's a world-ending disaster, if some guy's looking through a test tube and he's like, oh my god, this virus is going to kill humanity in the next six months, sure, you're free to run out, you're free to run out of the lab with your arms in the air screaming. But in the ghost hunting world, you have to choose. You can either be scientists trying to prove that ghosts exist or people running out of the the steady this is a steady you've set up you've set up something that you go we're going to observe a phenomenon we're going to try to contact it we're going to document it you can't run away screaming i remember i read this book about the history of diseases Modern diseases. It wasn't like the lame ones, like the flu. They were talking about AIDS. They had a whole section about AIDS. And they were saying they didn't know how it was spread. This was when it first started popping up in parts of Africa. This is before it got to America, got to San Francisco is where it really popped off over here. But they can trace AIDS in America to a single person. It was a airline flight attendant. That was patient zero. They know that person's name. I don't remember it, but they do know the person who brought AIDS to America. But anyways, when they were first trying to figure it out, it was just this disease that was killing very, very young people. There was, I think it was in France or Sweden, there was a laboratory and a guy had samples of AIDS-infected blood. They don't even think they had named it at that point. It was just like a series of letters and numbers. They, he had this vial and he's in this laboratory and he dropped it. <laughs> Shattered. And they locked the lab down. It's like something out of a sci-fi movie. They're like, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Everything got, he got locked. I don't know if it was automated. I don't know if he was like thinking about sliding underneath the door, but he was locked in because they didn't know if it was airborne. They didn't know how you contracted it. They had zero idea for all they knew. They just watched a guy die because he butterfingered a vial. He'd been up all night working on what is this? And they did. They isolated him for quite a while. And then they then they got brave enough, because it's what you have to do, to start testing him. And he didn't have it. So now they know, well, at least it doesn't seem to be airborne. 
Now, I'm sure that guy was I'm sure that guy was pooping his pants, right? I don't think that guy slept well for the next couple nights. But even in that situation, he didn't run out of the room with his arms flailing in the air. They wouldn't let him for one. He was locked in the room. But two, do you, you see what I mean? Like science, I get science can be scary. But no other scientist. I mean, listen, if there's if there's a nature, a biologist or whatever, out in the jungle and a gorilla comes after him, yes, you can run. If I see him running, I'm like, you whip. <laughs> Go study that monkey. I'm all driving away. I was like, I'm not picking you up until you get some monkey science done, sir. You go, Jason, what's the difference between an 800-pound gorilla chasing a scientist through the jungle? <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. What's the difference between an 800-pound lab coat? <laughs> His lab coat keeps getting tattered. He's like, oh, why did I wear this stupid lab coat? I'm not even in a lab. 800-pound gorilla is chasing a scientist through the jungle. What's the difference between that and you're in the catacombs of a place where you know untold amounts of people were dragged out of here unconscious to wake up on a ship miles away, and now you're hearing them scream. You're hearing the disembodied screams coming from the end of these deep tunnels. What's the difference? Well, listen, I'm not, listen, it would terrify me, okay? It would terrify me, but I am not a scientist, and I don't approach this as a science because I understand that it it really does defy science, and the science is as we know it. It just can't be replicated. We, we've learned that. You cannot replicate this phenomenon. You can't, can't replicate any of it. You can't replicate... And this is actually a good segue to... Let me finish what I was going to say. Yes, it would be scary. I would be scared to be in those tunnels, but I'm not there to prove anything. I'm there to go down there and be like, I wonder if this place is actually haunted. And then I would come back and say, yeah, I was down there and I, I heard this and I heard that and it was so scary I ran away. And you're like, wait, Jason, you'd run away too? Well, yeah. <laughs> Now that I'm thinking about it, I would totally run away if it was that bad, too. But again, I'm not a scientist. I consider myself more like a journalist. And when I was reading this article the other day about how journalists in Mexico, they're like, yeah, we've just kind of stopped reporting on stuff. Because the corruption is so bad that if we report on the corruption, we get killed. So we've just stopped reporting on it. And I go, that, that's fair. I mean, it's not fair for the citizens of Mexico. But I understand that. But I'm just telling ghost stories, ghost experiences I've had. And if you don't believe my stories, that's fine. That's fine. But if you're trying to prove the existence of ghosts, which a lot of these ghost hunting shows do, that's why they bring in these monitors and they're like, look, we caught this EVP. And they hit play and it's all mashed potatoes. And they're like, let me rewind that for you. Mashed potatoes. And they go, it's sane. I hate God. And then they play it again, and it goes very clear. Once they say what it's supposed to say, they hit play, and it goes, I hate God. And you're like, wow, how did I not hear that the first two times? It's weird. Once he told it sounded like he was saying mashed potatoes, but once he told me what it said, I clearly heard it say, I hate God, huh? You know, that's, I think, the difference. The difference is, is that if you're a ghost and you're a ghost scientist, you're a parapsychologist, you're trying to prove this stuff, you're trying to use the scientific method to, for something that at this point defies the scientific method. I think someday we may understand what it is, but it'll be outside the bounds of what we know as science. It won't ever fall underneath that umbrella.
And and uh, we won't, we're not going to get to the necro pants, Jonah. We're going to have to have you back. Keep those necro pants on, good sir. We'll have you back. What I think is interesting is this is the only, even in paranormal, even in the world of paranormal, this is the only place we see this happen. We do not hear stories about UFO hunters leaving the scene, right? They went up to the mountains. They went out to Mount Shasta because there were reports of UFOs and hidden tunnels underneath. You never, as far as I can remember, all the UFO research we've done over the years, even before the show, I don't think I've ever come across a story where UFO hunters, UFO researchers go out to an area and a they see a bright light in the sky and they they leave. They drive away as fast as they can. I I can't recall that. Because that's what they're there for. Hell or high water. They are there to prove that this phenomenon exists. UFOs are all about proof. They're all about getting the photographs, getting the video footage. That's why whenever a little, even the smallest sliver of hope from a photograph or a video goes viral. Because people want that with that They'll go there where they know there's alien activity, where they know there have been cattle mutilations, where they know things have been ripped open and had nearly all the blood drained out of them. They don't run away screaming. And the same thing with cryptids. People who go out... Cryptids, are, cryptids you might have a little bit of the run factor, but if we narrow it down to stuff like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot, you very, very rarely, there'd probably be more than the UFO stories, but less than the ghost ones, of people going out to hunt Bigfoot and they hear something in the woods and then they pack their gear up and run away. I have seen stories of people who've gone out to hunt Bigfoot, not necessarily shoot him, but to photograph of him, and Bigfoot throws rocks. There's like rocks flying through the forest at them, tree branches, moving in again. Now you're looking at a physical threat. They may not see it, but they can tell something very big and very strong is moving sight unseen through the forest towards them a physical force that may rip their head off and even those stories are rare i'm really thinking there was a story i read recently we'll cover it on the show i think about a wolf man about this giant wolf-like creature moving through the forest it was throwing stuff at these guys i actually don't think they were cryptid hunters i think they were just regular hunters and they took off running that's a cool story we'll have to cover that one next week but i'm just saying like ghost hunters they run and that's almost like part of it it's super weird Basically, you want to prove that ghosts exist, but also you want to be like, man, that house is so haunted, I couldn't get in. <laughs> it was so haunted, I didn't even try to get any proof. I ran away. Just like me, like when I recorded eight hours of a haunted bedroom, at, it was at Jackie and Josh's house. It was over at Jackie and Josh. <laughs> Jackie and Josh's old house. They're old friends of mine. Don't go looking for them now. Don't go crawling into their bedroom being like, I heard this place is haunted. This was out in a Simi Valley, not the city, uh, Simi Valley Road in Antelope, California. There's a haunted house out there. And I remember I was like, I re set up my camcorder and I go, I'm going to record this bedroom. It was the, parent, the parents' bedroom. They weren't there at the time. I wasn't secretly recording your parents, Josh. Had the camera set up and I hit play. It was extended play. I was going to record eight hours of audio and visual evidence in Jackie's parents' bedroom. 
And the next day I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that. And maybe a ghost showed up. Maybe the sound of the dead and the damned talking. I watched, I watched maybe 20 minutes of it. But again, I'm not a ghost scientist. I'm allowed to be lazy. I'm allowed to be scared is basically what I'm saying. This is why people don't take ghost hunting seriously because they don't have the gumption to stick around. You can choose. Do you want to be taken seriously? Do you want proof? Or do you want to be scared? And I think that's the interesting thing. People don't investigate UFOs to get scared. People do not investigate cryptids to get scared. Cryptid investigations really come down to two groups of people. People who are trying to find proof of... Three groups of people. People who are trying to find proof of Bigfoot. People who are trying to shoot Bigfoot in the brain. And then the whole other group of cryptid people are people trying to protect their farm. And there's some creature out there in the darkness that's killing their sheep or you have a rash of young men disappear along a river somewhere in south america and people are trying to figure out what's doing it and it's some sort of cryptid some sort of creature of legend out there those are really the groups of cryptid hunters people who are trying to prove something people are trying to kill something or people trying to protect their territory ghost hunters i listen i love you guys I consider myself a ghost investigator. I mean, maybe that's just maybe that's just split hairs because I'm always going to. But even then, I I mean, yeah, sure. Listen, it's scary. I've I don't I don't can't necessarily say I've run from a location in the middle of a ghost hunt. I don't think that I have. But again, I have different motives. I'm not putting up. I'm not going to be there for three days to prove this place is haunted and then run away in the middle of the night because it's so scary. We can't have it both ways, ghost guys. We can't have it go. We, we can't have it ghost ways. You like, you like that? that? That's just my take. Maybe I'm wrong. I was, I was really, really hoping that segment wouldn't turn into a rant and take over the rest of the episode, but it did. Jonah, we're going to have to have you next episode because we got to have everyone in the Carpenter Copter. So you will be back. Keep those necro pants on till tomorrow, and then you'll find out the horrifying madness that you've been wearing. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.